0: Amen. I'm enjoying this service so far, it was so good. Um, so I wanna take a minute and just make a special announcement. If I get Daniel in the back to stand up, and if you guys could all look back there, that is Daniel. And uh, if we could get Becky, where, is, where did Becky go? There she is, there's Becky right over here. If she could stand up. We wanna cr- congratulate these two, they got married on Friday. It was great to have you singing with us this morning and you controlling the sound. Uh, that's the, uh, the purpose of a man is to make his wife sound good. So hopefully as time goes on, you'll be really good at that. It is so good to have you guys here. Um, thank you so much. And you know, one of the things I love about this is that, that marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. And so we need to be praying for them, that God would bless them with all the joy and happiness that He intends for there to be in marriage. But even more than that, that God would help their relationship be something that communicates God's relationship with us and with the church. Now, isn't that amazing? As you think about, uh, as you think about church, it's all about Christ. Christ. Like the, when we come together and we sing, we are worshiping God. When, when we come and we open up God's Word, um, it is the power of God that matters. It is not the one speaking or the people listening. It is God's Word that works in us. And so we, we want that. When you think about fellowship in the body of Christ, and I was thinking about that for that women's ministry announcement, it's fun food and fellowship. But you know, that is not man-centered, that is not about people, because fellowship is the Holy Spirit in each of us, working on others and allowing others to work on us. Every part of church is for God's glory. I was thinking about this this, uh, this, this preacher's kid, um, one time goes to her dad, and this is not a true story, it's not about Jessica. But this preacher's kid goes to her dad, and she just noticed that often right before he preached, he kind of put his head down, and he paused for a moment. And she just says, um, so, Dad, like, what do you? why do you do that? And uh, this dad was just so, this preacher was just so proud of his little daughter that she was so observant and so paying attention on sunday morning and he just said you know I, w- I always just bow my head and i just ask the lord lord would you help me preach a good sermon and then his daughter says how come he doesn't answer <laughs> <laughs> and here's one of the things that we know is that the truth is that god always works through his word doesn't he and that's what this time is about and um, when i think about this we are going to be talking today about purposeful, spirit filled living. Last week we talked about um, the prerequisites like, what are the things we need in our life if we're going to be spirit filled? And one of the things, of course, that everybody should do, shouldn't just be a, the pastor praying that the Lord would help him to preach a good sermon. Everybody needs to be praying that God would speak to us through his word and through the people who are delivering it. Man, we pray for that, and we pray that God would do that. That's one of the best things we could pray for. But as we think about that, um, the things that we talked about as prerequisites last week are God-centered worship. And worship is definitely what happens here on Sunday morning when we sing together. That's worship. And, And there are many people who view the singing part of church as that's the entertainment part. That's where they perform for us. But what we recognize is that actually everything about our life, everything we say, everything we do, and our heart needs to be one of worshiping God. And that's Romans chapter 12, verse 1, right? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So the way we live our life gets expressed on Sunday morning when we sing. The, the second thing is we need God's Word. Um, God works through His Word. If we don't know what God says about what is and what isn't Spirit-filled, if we don't know what God says about how a person is Spirit-filled, if we don't know those things, we will never live a Spirit-empowered, Spirit-filled life. And the third thing we talked about last week was the fact that you have to go to church. Um, you have to be in the body of Christ. Um, Sitting at home and watching TV is great if you're sick, if you're in the hospital, if there's some reason you can't be there. I love that we can stream services. I think that is a wonderful thing that came out of COVID. Our church and so many churches that didn't stream, now everybody streams. And that's a good thing. But it is not a substitute for fellowship in the body of Christ, it is not a substitute for showing up because the Holy Spirit gifts us and we are to use our gifts on other people. The Holy Spirit works in the lives of other people through us. And if you're sitting at home, nobody's working on you. And if you're sitting at home, you're not working on anyone else. The gifts that God has given you need to be used. And that's one of the things I think about with Eddie and CJ in the children's ministry. What a powerful thing um, that we show up and that we use our gifts to build the body of Christ. So those are the prerequisites. And this morning, we are going to talk about purposeful, spirit-filled living. That we would get up and that every day and in every relationship and in all the things that we do, that we would have the purpose of being controlled by the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, that is a command. God tells us to do it. And this is a verse we read last week, but it just says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So if you don't live your life in a Spirit-filled way, God is saying here that you're a fool. Because wise living, purposeful living, we are to do that making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Have you ever missed an opportunity? That's one of the things I thought about. Um, One of the things as, as a new Christian that dominated my thinking was I had become a believer, committed my life to following Christ, and I just thought, okay, i got, I got to change everything about my life. My life was sinful. It was debauched. I had grown up in church. I knew all the things that God said, but I didn't obey any of them. And then I became a Christian, and I went to work in this uh, company, and I just thought, how can I share the gospel? How can I be an, an, an influence? How can I help other people come to know Jesus? And I worked with about 15 other people. And I worked really hard to, to share the gospel and be a testimony to them. But one of the things that I thought about was for the last four years of my life, I went to school every day with hundreds of people. And I was on sports teams and had close relationships with a large number of people. And all of that time was wasted because I lived for myself, and I lived a sinful life. Well, what a terrible waste. And, and Paul just here, he's saying, you need to make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with with the Spirit. That is a command. And when you contrast that command with being drunk with wine, it helps us think about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. And uh, I would just say controlled, saturated, everything that you do influenced by. You know, it's kind of like the wind in a sail of a boat. In fact, the Bible uses that term filled to talk about the way a, a, a sail is filled and, and moved. And what drives and moves the ship is the, the wind. Or a person who's filled with anger, filled with rage, filled with fear, filled with sorrow. And when you think about those emotions and how they can be so overwhelming and how they can control you and just occupy everything about your life, that is what God is saying the Holy Spirit needs to be in our life. The dominating influence in everything. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage that is going to explain some of those things. I told you guys last week that there are three things that get in the way of being Spirit-filled. And actually, this passage on being Spirit-filled is going to communicate those three things. And, and the first thing is, um, what gets in the way of being Spirit-filled is being selfish and self-centered. The second thing that gets in the way is sin. When we bring sin into our life, that stops us from being Spirit-filled. And the last thing that we talked about was ignorance, not knowing what God says about those things. So we're going to kind of trace those three things this morning as we go through this. When you think about the Holy Spirit and the value of it, John 14-16 through 16 is amazing. Jesus tells the disciples, I'm leaving, I'm about to go to heaven. And He actually tells them, it is in your best interest that I leave. Because if I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever thought about... Um, And just wish that you could have been here while Jesus was on earth and to see him and to talk to him. Like remember Thomas, he's like, I'll believe it when I see it and I can stick my finger in your hands and in your side. Have you ever felt like that? It would be easier if Jesus were here. And what Jesus tells us is actually it's to our advantage that he's gone to heaven because God sends the Holy Spirit. And then in John 14 through 16, it talks about all the things that the Holy Spirit does for us. By the way, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in everybody's life is the Holy Spirit supernaturally helps people to know about Jesus. It says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world, this is everybody on earth, of sin. Um, So everybody knows they're guilty. The Holy Spirit will convict the entire world of righteousness because Jesus is with the Father. See, the people in that day could look at Jesus. They could see him. They saw his righteousness. But the Holy Spirit, since Jesus is in heaven is putting in everybody's life a sense that Jesus is righteous because they can't see Him. So there's this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in every person's life that they would know that Jesus is righteous and of the coming judgment. So people also know they're in trouble with God. They know that they have a need for Jesus. You know, all that's the Holy Spirit, Um, and that's the work that the Holy Spirit does. So we feel like we're at a disadvantage But actually, we're not. Now, I want to just ask another question, then we're going to jump into this passage. Have you ever read the things that the Bible says and thought to yourself, that's not realistic? You know, um, I know that for myself, um, I have felt that in marriage. Some of the things sometimes I think about the things that God says I'm supposed to be like as a husband, or things that God says Michelle is supposed to be like as a wife, and she always seems realistically that she could obey all those things. But I struggle with it. Okay, no, um, hey, it's a struggle, right? Um, I think about First Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has seized you except what's common to man. But God is faithful and will never let you be tempted beyond what you were able. But with every temptation will provide a way out. Have you ever faced temptation and say, well, I know God says it's not irresistible, but it feels irresistible. I can't stop myself. Every time I face it, I give in. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever read what the Bible says about returning good for evil? And you've just thought to yourself, yes, but the way these people have wronged me, I hate them. And I will never return good for evil. Um, I'm going to pray for them like the country song says. I'll pray that uh, your brakes go out when you're going down a hill. That a flower pot falls off the windowsill. That, uh, you know, just like all these bad things, praying that bad things will happen have you ever read the attitude that God intends you to have toward people and just thought, man, that's just not realistic? Or I think about 1 Peter 3, where it just says to wives, if you are in a marriage where your husband is disobedient to the Word, do you ever know anybody who's been married and their husband is a total jerk? You just think they're horrible. They are terrible people. And then you read 1 Peter chapter 3, and it just says that God calls wives to win their, their husbands over without a word, with their chaste and respectful behavior. And have you ever thought to yourself, that's not possible? Or in Ephesians 5, where it says, husbands love your wives the way Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. And have you ever thought to yourself, it's impossible to just have this love for another person that is frustrating, that is aggravating, that is difficult with me sometimes, and and to love them the way Christ loved the church. That's not possible. Have you ever felt that when you think about the things that God says? Or thinking about just even, first of all, spirit-filled life. When we read what the Spirit-filled life is, to some degree, that is an impossibility. But one of the things that we know is that God tells us to do it, and it is actually possible. And we're going to read a couple verses this morning that are going to be shocking to you, they're going to be overwhelming to you, you're going to, man, it's going to get your attention. And so I'm going to give you the punchline now, but we'll read it later. Do you know the Bible says that People who are Christians have crucified the flesh. They say no to all the things that we're going about to read about it regarding sin. Christians say no to that. And Christians have the Holy Spirit living in them. And Christians live out the Spirit-filled life. And that is a, should get our attention that it is possible. And not only is it possible... That's supposed to be normal for Christians. Now, I just want to ask you guys, have you known Christians who struggle in their marriage, and when you read some of these things, you just say, doesn't seem normal to the Christians I know? Have you ever gone to a church and seen things that happen in a church? And have you ever thought to yourself, I don't know, man, when I read what the Bible says about how Christians are to relate to each other, that doesn't seem normal to me. Or have you ever looked at relationships between parents and kids? You know, the whole thing that all teenagers rebel. And then you think to yourself, um, that doesn't seem normal, the way God describes what a family relationship should be like. And uh, I'm going to just throw this out there to you. Sometimes that's not normal, because a lot of the people who are religious, it's like the Pharisees, they're whitewashed tombs. And they have religion, but they don't actually know the Lord. And often, there are problems in the church, and we just say, wow, how can these Christians act this way? Often, a lot of the people that we are classifying in that way are not Christians. And I'd say there's another reason, too, And the other reason is that sometimes people have grown up in church and they have become accustomed to and they've seen other believers and they are not diligent and they don't work hard on being who they should be. And actually, there are believers who are dominated by the flesh because they don't have realistic expectations about who they're supposed to be as Christians. You ever known elders, religious leaders that are angry, that are bitter, that are prideful, that are unkind, that lie? You ever see stuff like that? And then you just think to yourself, like I remember as a new believer in church, I'm feeling that God wants total commitment out of my life. And then I looked around at all the adults I saw at church, and I thought, well, that's a spiritual leader, and they don't do it. That's a mom and a dad, and they don't do it. And all these other friends of mine live in Christian homes, and they don't do it. And I I remember the decision I made was, if none of the adults can do it, I'm not even going to try. That's actually part of why I lived such a sinful life, is I didn't know any Christians that actually obeyed the things that God said. And I think sometimes you... So for me, I decide I'm not going to be a Christian, but I think there's other people who maybe they know the Lord and they feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but they are surrounded by a group of people who disregard God. And then they live that out. I don't want us to be like that. I want us to be the kind of people that read what the Bible says and then we do it. Uh, So let's jump into here and shall we read some of what the Bible says today? (laughs) I say let's do that. So here's the first thing Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. We need to commit to living with love. You need to be committed to living with love. If you're going to be spirit filled, love needs to dominate your life. Let me read this For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) Anybody read that and go, one word? That was more than one word. The Greek word for word can be one statement, one word, one communication, kind of like the way we use, hey, that was a good word to somebody who says like a bunch of things. So that's not wrong. That's just the way that word is used. And in the context, he's talking about legalism. And often people are religious and they're trying to please other people and there's all these external rules and people are trying to achieve their own righteousness. And so Paul's just saying, you were called to freedom. Christianity is not a bunch of rules. Christianity is about love. And uh, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then, can I tell you what people do with this? People do the most insane things with this. Uh, you can do whatever you want that's sinful as long as you love. You ever heard somebody do that? How can this be so wrong if it feels so right? Or people just says, just, just love, and then they disregard all the things that Scripture says. Like the Bible tells us to confront people in sin. And yet there's people that go, oh, no, that that feels mean, that's not loving, let's not judge anybody, let's not tell anybody what they're doing is wrong. So they disregard everything God says. When actually what this means is if you love God, and this is emphasizing people, but if you love God and if you love people, you will automatically do everything the Bible says. So God says, don't take my name in vain. Don't worship other gods before me. If you love God, it doesn't mean I love God so I'm going to take His name in vain and I'm going to uh, worship idols. Because as long as I'm loving, it's good. It means if you love God, you won't take His name in vain. You won't worship other idols. So a person who love God, loves God in a sense, you don't even need to know what the Bible says. You will automatically do it. Same thing. If you love people, the Ten Commandments, right? Right? Honor your father and mother. If you love your parents, you will honor them. It doesn't mean as long as I love my parents, I could blow them off, disregard them, disobey them. It doesn't matter. That is not what this is saying. It's saying that if you love your parents, you'll obey them. If you love other people, you won't steal from them. You won't lie about them. So it doesn't mean ignore what the Bible says. What it means is, if you love God and if you love people... You'll just do what the Bible says. That's why it says here, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. You know, one of the things that we realize, and here's why I'm bringing our love for God into this, Did you know that the Bible says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know why you love your neighbor as yourself? Because loving your neighbor is loving God. And the reason for that is that people are made in God's image, right? And the Bible says that all through it. Like, for example, the death penalty. Why do we have the death penalty for murder? Well, the Bible tells us it's because when you kill a person, you've attacked God because people are made in God's image. That's why we kill people who kill other people, like murder. That's why there's the death penalty. There's why, that's why there should be the death penalty, because it is an attack on the image of God. James 3, talking about how we talk about other people says that how can you say that you love God and then curse people who are made in God's image? And then that verse I quoted to my kids when they were growing up if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, you cannot love God whom you haven't seen. So here, the emphasis is on loving your neighbor, but I want to give you a secret if you don't love God, you will be unable to love your neighbor rightly. And the other thing is that when people hate each other, they don't love God. So in your life, if you have bitterness, anger, and hatred towards somebody, that doesn't say as much about that other person as it says about your relationship with God. And if you're going to be Spirit-filled, You need to be a person who's right with God. Because, in a sense, you know, our second category is sin. But let me just throw this out there. You don't love the people that God's put around you, you are in sin. So that's the first thing. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You know, the flesh tears down and destroys. I've, I've thought about that often. You have these churches that have been around forever. They're like the oldest church in their town and they're the smallest church in their town. You ever wonder why that is? Like, you just trace it. It's like in every one of the ministries, things will start going well. And then there's all kind of ego. And I want this and I want that. Next thing you know, people are fighting. Or or a church is small, and as it starts to grow, there's not enough rooms for everyone. And this person wants the room, and that person wants the room, and then they fight with each other. And then they have conflict, and there are all these negative things. and Then everybody gets mad and leaves. And you get these churches that grow and go down and grow and go down. And it's like, why? Because Satan has a field day with people. There are churches with a long history of flesh. And that's what Satan wants in a church. It's what Satan wants in a family. And the way that that turns around is when a group of people say, I'm not going to do what's normal. I'm going to do what God says I'm supposed to do. So, love. We need to be committed to love. Here's a second thing. We need to be people who are diligent at identifying and avoiding sin. Let's call it what it is. Let's see it. Let's know what it is. Let's identify it. And let's say, I'm going to get that out of my life. Spirit-filled living requires that you and I repent. You know, the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 talks about the flesh. And Paul uses the flesh in two ways. To talk about your physical body, That is not what's being talked about here. But to talk about our flesh, our humanness, our fallenness. When you become a Christian, you are given a new nature and a new heart. The Holy Spirit makes you alive, gives you a desire to love and obey God. But we still have this sinful flesh and sinful desires, right? And the Apostle Paul talks about that. In fact, he says, sometimes I find myself doing the things that I hate. You know, that's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Is that when a Christian sins, they hate it. When a non-Christian sins, they're happy. They feel better. Like hatred destroys them, but they kind of enjoy doing it. A Christian, when they hate somebody, man, they feel convicted that I, I hate this. I don't want this to be true in my life. They wake up one day and they say, this is how I feel, but this is not how I'm supposed to feel. You get a married couple that are having so much conflict over something and they have such animosity toward each other and one person did something to somebody and they're so offended and they're so upset. But if you're a Christian... Instead of responding, you say, you know, I feel so upset, and I want revenge, and, and, and I, I don't trust this person, and I'm angry with this person. But for a Christian, something inside you convicts you, and you think about what the Bible says, like that First Peter 3, 7 thing, if you're a lady, or Ephesians chapter 5, if you're a man, and you just think, wait, this is what God says I'm supposed to be like. And so you feel convicted, you feel guilty, you don't want to do that and then you change. Like I remember um, as a new believer, one of the things I did, I'm going to high school, I got drunk for three months. Every single day on the way to school, I would drink alcohol so I could be drunk all day at school because I hated school and school just seemed better when I was intoxicated. So that was like a big thing in my life. Okay, that's not a suggestion for anybody in school who doesn't like school. But when I became a Christian, I realized that was wrong, and I actually made a decision, I'm not gonna do that anymore. And I remember this friend picks me up, takes me to the movies three, three miles away, and there, he's got, there's a six pack of beer on the floor. So I picked it up and I drank three beers before we drove a mile and a half, while we were driving in the car. This was totally normal behavior for me. And just as we're pulling into the parking lot of the movie theater, it occurred to me, oh, wait a second, I'm a Christian. And I wasn't going to do this anymore. Right. And so I didn't say anything at the time, and I went to the movies, and I went home. But the next day when I woke up, I called my friend, and I said, you're my best friend. I love you. You are a great friend. But I can't hang out with you anymore. And it's not because of you. It's because of me. It's because when I, when I get with you, I have all these habits, these sinful habits in my life. And you remember yesterday... How I drank three beers on the way to the movie theater, man, that was wrong. And um, I just want you to know that I've made a commitment not to be like that anymore. So forgive me for being a bad example. And maybe we could be friends at some point in the future. But actually, pleasing the Lord is more important than my friendship with you. You want to know something that was interesting? I had no advice, I had no friends. I didn't go home and talk to some mentor who said, this is what you should do. Like nobody was giving me good advice or I wouldn't have gone there to start with. I I would have avoided being in that situation. But when you're a Christian, you hate sin and you want to obey God and you make decisions to get it out of your life. That's what happens when a person knows the Lord. Um, so we're diligently identifying and repenting when we fall. Look at Galatians 5.16. It says, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, that will not is the strongest possible phrase in Greek. It's saying it is impossible to gratify the desires of the flesh if you are walking in the Spirit. You know, Romans 12 2 tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may test and discern what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. One of the things we do is we embrace the things intellectually that we learn from the Bible. And, And we control our thinking, not just our actions, but the way we think about life. And I think in this is one of the things we need to be diligent with. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So, when we think about the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, um, if you want to be Spirit-filled, you need to be able to identify and avoid sin. Because when you fill your life with sin, you will not be filled with the Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, you will not have a life dominated by sin. And I think that's one of the super confusing things. Oh yeah, they're, they're a mature believer. This is the craziest thing. Is I've heard people talk about, oh, that person's so angry, they never, forget every, uh, they never forgive anybody, they're so bitter, but they're so mature. In fact, I heard one person talk about somebody and they were just saying, you know, that person was amazing in the women's ministry. And then they went on to describe, oh, you can't ask him to do that. You can't ask him to do that. You can't ask him to do that. They'll be so angry. But, you know, what? we should ask them to lead our women's ministry because they're really good at administration. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, am I on, like, Pluto? <laughs> like, like, what is this? You describe what would make you say this person should never be in, in leadership. And then your next statement is to say, let's put them in charge because they're really good at stuff. That's kind of like what we're talking about with worship when you have somebody who... I remember in my first church, after becoming a Christian, we brought this guy in to be our worship pastor. He was so talented. His wife played the harp on TV. It was amazing. And what transformed in our church. We went from having a church where not very many people sang, to having a church that was packed and everybody sang. And the church was growing. And people loved worship. And about a year after he got there, we found out that he was having an affair with a lady in the choir. and. There are many people who just think, oh, that's awesome. He's a great worship pastor. Let's keep that a secret. Oh, what he did was such a good job. When I think to myself, what got missed? Why is it that when you're close to this person, when you're involved in their life, you don't see the deeds of the flesh? You want to know what I found out because I was friends with the pastor? You know when he was interviewing for his job? He took the pastor's son out because he really wanted the job. So when he was interviewing, he takes a pastor's son out in his little car, little race car, and he's racing around driving dangerously because he wants the kid to like him. And when he pulled up in front of the house, do you know what was blaring out of his car? Some of you guys may not know this group. All the older folks will, but you ever heard of ZZ Top? She's got legs, and she knows how to use them. This is the worship pastor driving the pastor's son around in a car cranking that music and you want to know something that happened when he was being interviewed is it any surprise that that guy had an affair with the lady in the choir no that is not a surprise if a person lives that way that's what you would expect But when they were interviewing him, you know what they were concerned with? Not whether or not he was Spirit-filled. They cared about how well does he lead music? How how well does he get people to sing? What's his voice like? And the Bible tells us clearly that if you're filling your life with sin like he was, then that's going to result in the deeds of the flesh. You know, half the time... When you look at leaders and you look at churches and you say, what went wrong? How could that have happened? What a terrible thing. Did you know that I would say 99% of the time, that's why. It's because we don't read the Bible. We don't think about what it means to be Spirit-filled. We just judge people based on externals and we ignore the things that the Bible says about character and about loving God. So often... When these things happen, not a surprise. It's that we don't know what to look for when we're thinking about ourselves and when we're thinking about others and what it means to be Spirit-filled. By the way, (laughs) did you know that when it comes to leadership, that's why it says that you got to be the husband of one wife? Because do you have a Spirit-filled marriage? If you don't, you're not going to do well in leadership in a church. That's why it says you need to have children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. If you can't shepherd and love your family, you're not going to shepherd and love people in the church. And that is not to blame parents for their kids. But it's saying that spirit-filled behavior is not something that happens on a stage. Spirit-filled behavior is something that's supposed to happen in your house. And with the people that you have relationships with. So Galatians chapter 5 goes on, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So the Holy Spirit's a gift in your life to stop you from the destructiveness of sin. Verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. (laughs) This is the thing I think is like crazy. The deeds of the flesh, can I just say it this way? They're obvious. It's like that conversation I had about who should lead the women's ministry. (laughs) It's like, that's obvious. Can somebody explain to me why everybody in church misses that? Oh, we all struggle. Let's take a person totally dominated by the flesh and put them in charge. Like, why do we do that? And I would just say it's partly ignorance. And partly it's because it's an excuse. Because if all of our leaders live in sin, then it's okay for us too, right? Um. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And there's going to be five items that are related to sexual purity. So the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. That's a general word. Uh, Impurity. Brings with it the idea of defiling an offering in the Old Testament. So impurity is also sexual immorality, but it's just saying it defiles you. And then the other one is sensuality. That's flaunting sexual immorality. So those things, that's the deeds of the flesh. It goes on and it just lists orgies. That's another one. So you got sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and orgies. Like those are all the deeds of the flesh. If you're doing that stuff, you're not Spirit-filled. Um. And uh, certain of those things are obvious, but do you have any idea how many people in dating relationships are blowing it? Um, That is not something that is to be present in a Christian's life. Um, Here's the next thing. Idolatry and drug use. You know, idolatry, that's worshiping, putting anybody else, anything else in the place of God. Sorcery, uh, that's checking horoscopes, going to palm readers. Hey, what would you think if you found out that every day your pastor read his horoscope and, and kind of got guidance and direction as to what to do? When he was trying to decide what to do at the church or who should be a next elder or who should lead some ministry, if he went down to the palm reader and said, hey, I'm trying to make this tough decision, who could help me? Like, what would you think if he found that out? Or drunkenness, that's good, you'd leave. That would be excellent. That would be a good choice. Or, or maybe we can make that guy leave. Right. You know, that, that would be another option. But you know there's eight that are relational? I was thinking about that. Eight of these deeds of the flesh are relational. Um, it says enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. You know, the body of Christ, when you're spirit-filled, you're supposed to be loving, encouraging, and building other people up. But what does the flesh do? People tear each other down. I was thinking about that. You ever have a friend that you really like until somebody else comes and talks to you about them? And now all of a sudden you have a low view of that other person. Yeah. And nothing in your relationship with them happened. Right. But you heard somebody else talk about them. And it impacted your relationship with them. That's one of the things I think about is that is so obvious. What does the Bible say? You have an issue with somebody. Who do you go to? Yeah. That person. And yet in the church, the last people... That somebody will go to is the person they have a problem with and why is that it's the flesh rather than be being filled with the Spirit when you're filled with the Spirit you go to people because you love people you talk to people you don't talk about people and by the way like you talk about churches that are up and down and all kinds of problems that's why is that stuff happens So somebody slanders somebody else to you, you just go, okay, that's a deed of the flesh. I'm not going to take that to heart. I'm going to avoid that. And you encourage people to actually do what the Bible says you're supposed to do. So we need to identify and avoid sin. And one of the things that we need to think about is are we building, encouraging, and helping one another... Or are we harming one another? And uh, here's the third one is that we need to purpose to be spirit filled. And what that means is we read that list and we just go, yeah, that's sin. If that's in my life, I know I'm being fleshly. I just got to tell you, I, I one time <laughs> had this huge conflict with Michelle. We're having all, we're so, I was so mad. We were so mad at each other. And it happened. Like an hour or two before an elder meeting. So then I go to this elder meeting. And you want to know what my commitment was when I went to that elder meeting? Don't say anything, don't give your opinion about anything. Just sit there quiet and let everybody else talk. Because do you want to know what I don't want to bring into an elder meeting? The flesh? It's not going to be about whatever the conflict was with me and Michelle. But if I'm controlled by the flesh, I need to use self-discipline to stop Satan from speaking through me. And I need to be a Spirit-filled person. And part of that is to say, I'm looking at my life right now and seeing that I'm not Spirit-filled. And also, when you're around people that aren't Spirit-filled, don't take advice from them. Don't listen to them. Don't say, here, come, Satan, speak to me. You should do what Jesus did to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're setting your interests on man. And so we need to purpose to be Spirit-filled. We kind of need to be able to recognize when we are or when we're not. And uh, so the Bible tells us what Spirit-filled is. And next week, we're going to go over the fruits of the Spirit. But here's Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the spirit is love the first thing right this passage starts with love joy you ever feel stressed and anxious sometimes i think to myself i feel stressed and anxious and that's actually not the fruit of the spirit so it's not just if i have a conflict with michelle there are other kinds of emotions that i feel in my life that tell me i'm not spirit-filled the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law and here's the powerful verse i told you we were going to get to those who belong to christ jesus that means if you're a christian those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now that word for passion, that's when you want something so bad it hurts. In fact, sometimes that word is translated suffering. So it's a powerful desire, but a Christian has crucified that. Remember, Jesus was crucified. If you read Romans chapter six, you find out that we are baptized into his death. Like the crucifixion means we've killed our old life. And then it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So keep up with the Holy Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So there's this little kid. He comes home from Sunday school, and his mom asks him, what would you learn? That's what he he says. He says, well, Mom, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead Israel out of Egypt. He got to the Red Sea, and he had his engineers build a pontoon bridge, and all the people walked across safely. And he used his walkie-talkie to radio headquarters, and he called in an airstrike. And they sent in bombers to blow up the bridge, and the Israelites were saved. And then the mom says, is that really what your teacher taught you? He goes, well, no, mom, but if I told it to you the way the teacher did, you'd never believe it. What I want you to know is that being Spirit-filled, it is possible, it is not a myth. And there's all kinds of things, all kinds of gauges that God gives us to help us know if we're Spirit-filled. And I just want you to know that these are habits in life. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed now, not only now, but in my presence, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We work out our salvation. And then it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in us, but we are working. Um, Living out the Christian life is definitely a possibility. And you want to know why? It's because Jesus died on the cross, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as you think about Spirit-filled living, Spirit-filled living is actually only possible because of the work of Christ. It's because of what Jesus did when He died for us on the cross. And in fact, when, you die, when Jesus died on the cross for us, He gave us the Holy Spirit and enabled us not only to be saved, but also to live for Him. Here's the great thing. We don't stand before God because of our own righteousness, because we do good things, because we put sin out of our life. We stand before God, okay, because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Um, John tells us this, John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Like, that's the ultimate sin. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has already been judged. And we are saved, and we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit, because the work of Jesus... And that he went to heaven and he's coming back. Mark chapter 14 verse 22 says, As they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. In a moment when we're done, you'll walk up to the tables and you'll grab some bread and you'll grab a cup. And you can sit down and take it when you're ready. But that, that bread represents the body of Jesus. It reminds us what Jesus did on the cross. Mark, Mark, um, 14:23 says and he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank of it and he said to them this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many truly i say to you i will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when i drink it anew in the kingdom of god and when they had sung a hymn they went to the mount of olives the blood represents the death of jesus and we're reminded that we're going to drink it anew with Jesus. He's coming back. We will be with him again. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just thank you so much for the death of your son. God, I thank you for that atoning sacrifice. He was the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Lord, after he died and was buried, Lord, you raised him from the dead three days later. And Lord, we look forward to his return. God, we're so thankful that we stand before you because of his righteousness, not our own. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people that confess sin, that turn away from sin. And Lord, if there is anyone here today who is holding on to sinful attitudes or sinful things, God, I pray that they would confess that, that they would be right with you because of Jesus before they take the elements. So Lord, we ask that you would bless this time in your name. Amen.